Well, this morning, again, we're going to just give a brief overview of some things regarding uh, the leadership of the church, church leadership. And uh, so it's just kind of a primer or primer, whichever way you pronounce that. Um, And it really begins with understanding that there are two offices in the church, two offices in the local church. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and uh, again, I'm going to have you turn to some specific passages in a minute, uh, but if you want to just hear some of these verses, Philippians 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, uh, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So he's writing the church as it is there in Philippi, and then he says this, including overseers and deacons. So he identifies those two offices within the local church. They're called overseers and then the office of deacon. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of overseer. It is a fine work he desires to do. And so there again, it's identified as the office of overseer. And then... A few verses later, he says in verse 8, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid games. So he gives qualifications for the office of overseer and then for deacons. So again, as the uh, Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and he's instructing him as to how he is as an apostolic representative and really as a a shepherd in a sense himself, uh, what the qualifications of those two offices are. He identifies as the office of overseer, the office of deacon. So when you look through the New Testament, you'll find in the epistles in particular, and then as the church begins to develop those offices in the book of Acts, you see those two offices, overseer and deacon. Now, also called the office of overseer, pastor or elder. We'll see in a minute those three words are used interchangeably. But just noting those two offices for now, uh, I'll call it the office of elder and then the office of deacon. Um, What are the differences between those two offices? Uh, In some churches, that's not clear. In some churches, deacons function like elders. And there may be only one sole pastor that they might call uh, the senior pastor even. Um, But as we'll see in a moment, there should be a plurality of elders and deacons. Um, But what's the difference in the functions? Well, for elders, elders are shepherds of the flock. Deacons are servants of the flock. The focus of the office of elder is the ministry of the word and prayer. The function of the deacon is to minister to practical needs in the body. One is an oversight of souls. Pastors, elders, overseers are to keep watch over the souls of the congregation, while the office of deacon is the oversight of certain practical needs. One is a teaching office. Pastor, elder, overseer is a teaching office. Again, the focus is the ministry of the word, while the office of deacon is not a teaching office. It is an office of service, again, to practical needs. So a very important distinction between the two. 
Now, when we consider the words used in the New Testament for that office of elder, we find that there are three primary words that are used. Elder, overseer, and pastor. Elder, overseer, and pastor. And those three words refer to one and the same office in the local church. So what do those three words mean? Well, first there is the word elder. And the Greek word that is translated elder in our Bibles is the Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros. Now, that might sound familiar to you. And we talk about Presbyterian churches. And uh, one of the common things in a Presbyterian church and their church polity and governance is they have elders, a presbytery. Um, and they have a certain structure of elders as well uh, that is unique to them. And so it's called a Presbyterian church. But uh, that word Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, translated again in our Bibles as elder. Uh, this was a term primarily used uh, that would have been familiar to Hebrew Christians, uh, those Jews who had come to Christ. It was a word that uh, was used uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, they would speak of elders, the elders that helped Moses in keeping watch over the congregation um, and uh, ruling, so to speak, over the congregation of the people of Israel as they left Egypt. And it would have been a word that had some rich history there. Uh, but it is a word that was used to emphasize the man, his character, and his maturity. Now, when we think of an elder, sometimes we think of someone who is older. And uh, when we think of this particular word, it does not set an age that a person has to be in order to be in that office. There are some who've tried to assign a particular age. Some would say over 40, some would say over 50, because it needs to be an older man by virtue of this title, elder. But the emphasis is not so much on the age as it is the, the character and spiritual maturity of the man. So he must be one who is mature, uh, but not necessarily old in years. He doesn't have to be a gray beard. Um, he just needs to be spiritually mature so that he can watch over, care for the souls of the flock. So the term elder, presbyteros, has to do with the man's character and maturity. Then there is the word overseer, overseer, and the Greek word translated overseer is episkopos, episkopos. Uh, there's another uh, church government polity denomination called episcopal that comes from that word, uh, episkopos. And the two words, uh, skopos or skopos, which has to do with to watch, to look at, uh, to watch over, Epi means over, being overseers, quite literally, those who oversee. And this term uh, refers to the function of the office, what he does. He is a spiritual overseer of the congregation. He has, has uh, to exercise oversight of the souls of those given to his care. And so he is an overseer of souls. And then there's the word pastor. Or more literally, shepherd. And the Greek word is poimen. And this refers to the nurturing role of the office. Uh, he is to nurture and feed and protect a flock. The church is called, often in scripture, the, the flock of God. We are sheep. We are his sheep. 
And we have a chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, but he has under shepherds, so to speak, in his local church, in local churches that, that nurture the flock, that care for the sheep, that feed them the word of God, protect them from danger. So you can see the richness in the three words that are used for this one office to emphasize various aspect, aspects. The elder, the presbyteros, a man of godly character, proven character of spiritual maturity, an overseer. He exercises oversight of souls. This is soul care. And how does he do so? Like a, a shepherd caring for sheep. He feeds the flock. He leads them. He protects them. And so those three words are used interchangeably. Now, let me demonstrate from the scriptures that these three words are used interchangeably. There are those who would say, no, these refer to different offices. Some would say three or maybe two and combine two words together. But we believe the scripture is, is clear that these three words refer to one in the same office. And one of the reasons why we would say that is if you consider the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and then the qualifications in Titus 1, verses 5 to 9, they're, they're really synonymous. Some of the exact same words are used, but if there are different words, they are synonyms. And so the, the passage in 1 Timothy refers to the office of overseer. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. But then in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, uh, Paul tells Titus to set in order what remains in Crete. There are believers, but the church needs to be set in order. And he says you do so by appointing elders. And then he gives the qualifications of elders. And the qualifications are one and the same, including the role of the ministry of the Word. It must be apt to teach in 1 Timothy 3. And in Titus chapter 1, it says it must be someone who uh, holds to sound doctrine, who's then able to exhort in sound doctrine and, contradict the, or, and refute those who contradict sound doctrine. So though it is a ministry of the Word. So the words are used interchangeably. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see it even more clearly, I think. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 5, turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 5. And you see these three words, elder, shepherd, overseer, used interchangeably for one in the same office. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Apostle Peter says, Therefore I exhort thee elders. Presbyteros is the Greek word used. So he's directing his instruction to elders. And that's what he calls them. I exhort the elders among you. And then he says, as your fellow elder. That's an interesting. You say, he, I thought he was an apostle. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he identifies himself as a fellow elder. But in addition to that, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. But here's the heart of what he says to those elders. Elders, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. So in that phrase, we find those three words used that I just identified, presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen, elder, overseer, 
and shepherd or pastor used here, though, in verb forms. He, he identifies the office as elder. I exhort the elders among you. Do what? Shepherd. So that's the, the verb form of the noun poimain, to pastor, to shepherd the flock of God among you. How? Exercising oversight because they are overseers. And there you have the verb form of the word episkopos. So exercising oversight. Then he gives them more instruction. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, as God has revealed in His Word, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But just note there that you see how he identifies the office here. He calls it the office of elder. But then what they're to do is to shepherd and exercise oversight of souls. So you see the three words used together to refer to one in the same office. We see this in Acts chapter 20 as well. In Acts chapter 20, it says from, in verse 17, from Miletus, he, that is the Apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. So notice it's elders, plural, of the church, singular, the local church there in Ephesus. And when he calls them to himself, the instruction he gives to them is found in Acts 20, verse 28. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you, and notice the words, overseers, there's that word, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So there again, you find all three of the words that refer to one in the same office. Here he identifies it as the office of elder, but what they are to do is exercise oversight. They've been made overseers, episkopos, and they are to shepherd the word shepherd, poimain, but here the verb form, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So you can see how the words are used interchangeably. And so sometimes you might hear us refer to uh, a person as an elder or a pastor. They're not two different offices. They're not two tiers among a group of men. It's one and the same. So sometimes we refer to ourselves as pastors, sometimes as elders. We don't quite as often say we're overseers, um, but that's what we do. We are to exercise oversight of souls. We are to watch over the souls. Now, what you have in the New Testament, in particular in the book of Acts, is a transition from apostles in the early days to then as the apostles die to the the care of the souls of the congregations to the elders, pastors, overseers. Again, one in the same office. So you'll notice when you read through the epistles in the New Testament, it doesn't instruct the church to appoint apostles. It makes reference to apostles in Ephesians 2 verse 20 as those who were a part of the foundation of the church and part of the foundation that they laid was written revelation, the scriptures. And so 
You have them mentioned there. You have them mentioned in Ephesians 4, verse 11 that we talked about last week that God gave some as apostles. But then in the epistles, there's, there's no instruction to uh, appoint or ordain as apostles men in every church. Instead, in Titus 1, verse 5, again, when there are believers who have come to Christ and there's a, a church in that sense for it to be set in order, there's a need to appoint, set apart men as elders. And so in the, the New Testament epistles, a transition is occurring in the early church. And you see that in particular in Acts. At first, there were apostles who were shepherds of the flock. And as Jesus builds his church, the shepherding ministry becomes the responsibility of apostles and elders for a period of time. That's why the Apostle Peter, when he addresses these elders in 1 Peter 5 that I just read, he identifies himself as a fellow elder. Yes, he's an apostle, but he also functions as an elder who also exercises oversight of souls and shepherds the people of God and leads them and protects them and feeds them. And so for a period of time, you have this elder apostles are in the church in the book of Acts, but then you see elders beginning to be uh, set apart in local congregations. And then after the apostles pass, after the time of the apostles, during that time of laying the foundation of the church, the shepherding ministry would then belong to elders alone. And that's why you have passages like James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him. And so it's not a call for apostles in the church, but for elders in the church. And so first you have apostles. You have the twelve who were appointed, but then of course Judas was... Uh, a traitor, and he was replaced, and you have the 12 apostles, and Jesus is addressing them. They have a unique role in those early days. And then you have the apostles beginning to appoint elders. For example, in Acts 14, verse 23, it says, When they, referring to the apostle Paul and Barnabas who was with him, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So now in Acts 14, you have the Apostle Paul appointing elders in every church, in these local assemblies. Then you have apostles instructing that elders are to be appointed in the churches. So you have the Apostle Paul telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, again, synonymous with pastor and, and elder, same office, it's a fine work he desires to do. So he lays out the qualifications of those who are to be set apart. So you have the apostles instructing that elders are to be appointed. Titus 1 verse 5 as well. And then you have... Finally, elders appointing other elders. No longer apostles appointing elders, but then elders appointing other men as elders. And you see that in verses like 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, where the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, 
which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the, it's translated presbytery, or the body of elders. So there was a body of elders that laid hands on, symbolic of appointing him to that office as well. And so you have elders appointing elders. The presbytery, it's translated there in the New American Standard. In the ESV, the council of elders. Again, presbyterion, the plural form or presbyteros. And then we see that elders are then given the responsibility for the spiritual oversight of churches. So I think it's very important as you read the book of Acts to understand there's transition that's taking place in the book of Acts from the foundation being laid by the apostles to then apostles appointing elders and then elders appointing elders. The apostles pass, that time of the apostleship is over, and now you have the regular ongoing ministry of pastors, overseers, elders in the congregation. And so that tells you something about that office. But then consider that there should be a plurality of elders in a local congregation. Now there may be a period of time in a church planting situation uh, where there might be only one pastor, but as the church grows, matures, and uh, then there should be the appointing of a plurality of elders. So again, in Acts 14.23, it says, When they had appointed elders, plural, for them in every church, local congregation and assembly, singular. So in every singular church, local church, there were multiple elders appointed. Again, as I read in Philippians 1 verse 1, uh, Paul addresses the saints, including overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. Again, James 5.14, those who are sick in that circumstance that's mentioned there must call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those, that's plural, who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them, plural, very highly because of their love, their plural, or their work, and then live in peace with one another. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, plural, and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. And so uh, there should be a plurality of elders. And one of the purposes for that is that no one man really has the ability to shepherd a whole flock, a congregation of people. And it's, a, it's something that is made for a plurality of people. It's certainly, we see that in the Old Testament. There aren't, uh, talk about a mega church of maybe two million, if you, I'm using church loosely, uh, with Israel in the wilderness. But of course, Moses couldn't do that alone. He needed at least 70 who could help him with that. It's not something one man can do. But another reason for that is it provides accountability among the elders, encouragement among the elders as well. And so it's not one man, but we together as a plurality of elders shepherd the flock of God. And so God has designed the church to function under the governance and leadership of a plurality of qualified men for the office of elder. But then consider the equality of elders. 
All who are set apart to the office have equality. There's no hint of some elders having more authority than others. That would be more in an Episcopalian uh, church polity. An Episcopal church has this bishop who rules over, in a sense, and has authority over other churches and even elders in that congregation. Again, the way they interpret those words, they would say there's a bishop, an overseer, and he's over congregations and the local pastors that are there. Uh, But we don't see any hint of any uh, more authority of some elders over others. No one elder or group of elders is to have more say-so than another. There's no formal authority structure or hierarchy within the body of elders. Now, that doesn't mean there's not diversity among the eldership. There is diversity. Equality and parity does not mean that all elders necessarily give equal time to various ministries. Uh, There's a shared work of overseeing souls and overseeing the ministries of the church and and making disciples. And so an equality of elders doesn't mean that each man must occupy uh, the pulpit equally in time. It may be that one elder is set apart uh, to give primary attention to the public preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And another elder may give attention to other types of shepherding of souls. But what is clear is that all elders must be apt to teach, they must be sound in the faith, they must be uh, able to exhort in sound doctrine, refute those who contradict. They all have a ministry of the word, uh, sometimes publicly, maybe one or more of the elders gives more attention to the public ministry of the word, but there's the shepherding of souls in other contexts as well with the word. And so while there is equality among elders, there's also diversity. Uh, some elders, even among us, as four elders, may, may have certain particular areas of, of ministry of the word that we're more suited to or gravitate to and, and even gifted in various ways to. So there's diversity. But let me just say in regard to that, we have four pastors, elders, overseers, one in the same office in this congregation. We don't use the nomenclature of a senior pastor except by way of jest in saying that Ernest being, uh, what is he called? A, a sep, what was that word you used at his birthday? A septuagenarian? <laughs> that we jest. Where is our brother? Oh, there he is. <laughs> Only in that sense do we, I say we, I jest that, that he is our senior pastor and Devon is our youthful pastor. And, and, but we say those things in jest. There's not, I just want you to know, we don't have a senior pastor and associate pastors. We have pastors, elders, overseers. Now I'll talk in a moment, uh, time permitting, um, you know, why it is that, that I have primary, give primary attention to the public ministry of the word, but it's not because I have more authority or I, in some way, am elevated above the other pastors. So we're all pastors, a plurality of men set apart in the congregation here where there is equality among the elders in that sense, no hierarchy among us. Now, turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. 
1 Timothy 5, verse 17. And this verse will help, and there's a number of verses we could go to, to help us understand the responsibility of elders, what elders are called to do. It is obviously primarily a ministry of the word. Must be apt to teach, and and we shepherd souls using the word of God. But 1 Timothy 5.17 will, will give us some insight, if I can find it here. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. As to the responsibility of elders, it says this. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So here, notice the word rule. And he says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. This word rule, of course, has a negative connotation. Uh, in, the, in the old King James uh, it would use it would translate it that way because it wasn't so offensive in that day to speak of one who would rule and and a, a man a, a father a husband would rule over his home. Uh, the word that's used here is often misunderstood as an authoritarian rule, but the word prohistemi in Greek means to to lead, to direct, to manage. So it's often translated that way. So, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, when he gives the qualifications of a a pastor, an elder, an overseer, it says he must be one who manages his own household well. And again, the old King James says he must be one who rules his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. And then it goes on to say, but if a man does not know how to manage, or think, same word, rule his own household How will he then, it says, take care of the church of God? And there in 1 Timothy 3, 5, the the word translated take care means to look after and have charge over. Uh, It's a word that's translated in Romans 12, verse 8 as lead. One who leads. So, when we speak of the office, it's an office of oversight of souls, shepherding of souls, and caring for the people of God, managing, leading, directing the spiritual care and direction of the church. And this kind of leadership, again, is not leadership by motivational speaking. We're not CEOs. We're not executives. This is why the word, understanding the word shepherd is so important. When you hear the word pastor, which means shepherd, it It's the idea that there's a care of souls that we are to do. And this managing, this leading, this directing of the the household of God and the people of God is to be a, a careful leading of souls through the Word and the ministry of the Word of God. There are four words that I like to use, and it gives a little bit of a rhyme, so it helps me. What is the responsibility of pastors? They love, lead, protect, and feed. They love, lead, protect, and feed. This is a a labor of love. It's just like a, a man should love his family and manage his household in accordance with the word of God and under the lordship of Christ. Even so, men who are given this responsibility care for the souls of those under his care. And he loves them. As Peter said, referring back to 1 Peter, it's not under compulsion, 1 Peter 5, but voluntarily. 
It's not because he has to, it's because he wants to. He loves the people of God, and God has given him a shepherd's heart to care for the souls of God's people. He loves them. He leads them by setting the direction of the church and by example. He leads them as he teaches the Word of God and directs, not only in sound doctrine, but then in sound living. This is how the church is to glorify God as we live out these truths. And then there's protection. You you refute those who contradict is one of the qualifications. To have to be able to wield the Word of God. uh, To take the rod and the staff and to protect from wolves and and those that would harm the church. So protecting the church from false teachers and, and those who would cause division and factions among the body and teach heresy and things that would lead the people of God astray. This is what Paul said to the, the elders at Ephesus. that Watch out for those wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to come in among you and they're going to try to lead the flock away. And so love and lead and protect and then feed. How do we feed the people of God? With the Word of God. It is nourishment for our souls. We should long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it we may grow in respect to salvation. So we preach the Word. We teach the Word. So this is a ministry, again, of the Word of God. The words of, again, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. What a sobering thing. We give an account to God. It's one of the things we would plead with you as pastors is to understand that we don't do this For money, that's a characteristic of a false teacher. We don't do this for vainglory. I've said this, and I don't mean it in a disrespectful way. If I was looking for vainglory and popularity and fame, I wouldn't be at Grace Fellowship Church. I'd be trying to get in on some well-known megachurch or try to make a name for myself. We would be like much of what is called Christianity out there, where people are making much of them. We're not about making much of our names. We'll give an account to God. We're those who soberly understand that that how we shepherd the flock of God as under-shepherds of the chief shepherd is very important. And we'll give an account to Him. But the Bible says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. But a key word in Hebrews 13, 15 is a word translated, keep watch. They keep watch over your souls. And so this office is one of being watchmen. You know, I talked about this. The whole church, in a sense, is to be watchmen. We're we're to be alert and sober-minded, and we're to be watchful. But in particular, elders are those who are to be watchmen, keeping watch over souls and caring for souls. Not by lording it over people in an authoritarian manner. But no, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 3, proving to be examples to the flock. So back to 1 Timothy 5, 17, it says, the elders who rule, who manage, who lead, in the manner God has prescribed, they have this kind of oversight of souls. The elders who rule well, and that's the goal, to rule commendably and honorably, are to be considered worthy of double honor. Of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, what does it mean, worthy 
of double honor. Worthy of double honor. Well, let me have you just turn to another passage to, I think, explain that. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13. Uh, double honor. It's talking about honor and honor. Double honor. What does that mean? 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13 says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Again, so much in there that that informs us as to what this office is. They diligently labor. It's work. The word here for laboring is to to work hard and, and even to exhaustion. And it says, and have charge over you. That's the word prohistomy. To, to rule, to lead, to manage. Here translated, they have charge over you, over your souls. They're to manage and lead the souls of God's people. And give instruction, give you instruction. Nutheteo, it's the idea of give instruction in positive encouragement at times, sometimes it means to correct and to, to direct uh, out of error, to admonish. But it's, again, an office of instructing them. And it says, we request that you appreciate them, those who do this. And the word appreciate here has the, it's the Greek word oida, which has the, the basic idea of to know. To know someone. And in knowing them, You appreciate them. One commentary says this, Ministers are often urged, and rightly so, to know their members. But here the members are called upon to know their leaders. And surely much of the tension that at times develops between pastors and members would be dissipated if the members would learn to know and appreciate the duties and ministries of their spiritual leaders. John MacArthur said this, the connotation here is that believers are to know their shepherds deeply and respectfully and to value their service. Such knowledge is much more than mere recall of their names or the general awareness of some facts about their personal lives. Instead, it entails a close personal acquaintance that results in the caring appreciation of the Lord's servants. In other words, yes, we need to know our flock, but the Bible says you should know us as well. That's why I've, I've emphasized at times that, that we are men of flesh, just like you. The same common temptations and struggles. We are men who are husbands, fathers, parents. We, we have wrestled with the same things you wrestle with. John MacArthur goes on to say it's common for people to be unkind, critical, and indifferent toward their pastors when they do not know them well. But believers will not be as likely to have such negative attitude toward pastors they truly know. Rather, they are more likely to treat them with heartfelt respect and gratitude. And so so as we know one another, as we seek to shepherd the flock of God and love and lead, protect and feed and do so as those who give an account to God. And then as you get to know your pastors and you therefore understand what that role is and how they labor in that way, he goes on to say, 1 Thessalonians 5.13, and that you esteem them very highly because of their work. And when this happens, then we'll live in peace. So he says, live in peace with one another. So part of the honor he's referring to back in 
1 Timothy 5.17 of the double honor is the kind of respect and honor that is due to those that God has called to shepherd your souls who aren't doing it for personal gain, but doing it for the sake of God's church, his glory in the church, and the souls of those given to our care. But then it speaks of double honor, back to 1 Timothy 5.17. Double honor. Honor can be appreciation and respect, but then honor also in Scripture, and in particular in the context here, 1 Timothy 5, can refer to financial remuneration. And so, earlier in the chapter, verses 3 to 16, it refers to honoring widows who are identified here as widows indeed, who don't have family members to help support them. And so, they meet certain qualifications for support financially to the church, and it speaks of that being honor to them. And so, the double honor that Paul then refers to in 1 Timothy 5.17 is honor, first of all, as respect and appreciation, but then secondly, as remuneration for the work of ministry, for those who give attention to the public ministry of the word. And then he says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, that's not, it's not to be interpreted this way. Well, there's some lazy pastors who don't really work hard at preaching and teaching, but those who do, you should remunerate them. No, the point is here is that he's pointing out that among the elders, there's often a need for setting apart some to give more specific attention to labor and work hard at the public ministry of the word, because that is a necessary component to the local church and the building up of the body. And so that's where you get often among the, the elders where there's equality and the responsibilities are the same. There's a setting apart of some who especially are called out to give particular attention to the ministry of the word. And when there are those who are set apart to give that kind of time and attention to that, then they are worthy of remuneration for that time. There's a need often to do that. So practically speaking, the church here at Grace Fellowship Church, uh, since uh, it, it really the onset has set me apart to give particular attention to the public ministry of the word and, and to the ministry of that office in that sense. And so the church has remunerated me part-time at the beginning um, and then eventually full-time um, to be able to give attention to that, to care for souls and to give attention to the, to the public ministry of the word. And then Paul says in verse 18, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox when he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And, and there we have an Old Testament reference and even a New Testament reference where Paul here is speaking of uh, Luke's writing, his gospel, as in quoting Jesus as scripture. But that's another subject. Now, the Apostle Paul, as an apostle, when he traveled, he was a tent maker, he had a a vocation, and he would often not, in order to be a burden to the churches, would not accept remuneration, then there were times he did. We just went through the book of Philippians, Philippians 4. They, they gave him gifts to help him with his financial needs. Um, so I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but just to say that among the elders, while there's an equality of elders, it, it, it may be that some are set apart to give time to particular areas of the ministry of the word or to ministry, and then a need to remunerate them for that. And that's part of the double honor, the double honor that is mentioned there. Now, let me just, there's, there's much more that could be said. Um, I heard John MacArthur say one time, that's what a pastor says when they 
just before they run out of material. Um, but there really is much more that can be said. Um, but just for our purposes here in, in closing and beginning again to understand briefly and talk about church leadership and here focusing on the office of elder, there's much that can be said about the office of deacon uh, that I won't take time to do here. But let me just mention again, just to remind you all, I know most of you are members of Grace Fellowship Church. Some of you are visiting, learning about the church, going through a new member process. Uh, but we have four elders, pastors, overseers in this congregation. Um, me being one of them since August of 1997. Uh, then Pastor Sean Hill since December of 2005. He was set apart um, as a, a pastor in this church. And then Pastor Ernest Henderson, Pastor Devon Granham, both appointed, set apart to the office of elder pastor overseer in January of 2021. Uh, then we have two deacons, uh, Alan Osborne, who was appointed as a deacon in 2007, and Greg Geyer, who was appointed as a deacon in 2013. Um, Alan Osborne also serves as our church treasurer. When you read our Constitution bylaws, we have information about someone who gives oversight, uh, again, to that aspect, and he is also our church treasurer. Then when we think of paid, and again, sometimes it's just hard to know what terms to use, remunerated staff, um, the church remunerates me to give full time uh, to this, the work of pastoring and sets me apart to give full time and attention to that. Pastor Sean has been remunerated for, I don't remember how many years now, three to four, um, that might not be exactly right, for approximately eight hours a week. So he obviously has a full time job, but he's remunerated to give uh, time and attention to particular ministries, particularly men's ministry and children's ministry and oversight of, of that. And when you think about the children's Sunday school that's taking place right now, Pastor Sean oversees that. Um, those were two areas that used to be under my responsibilities, but there's a need to have someone else to take some of those responsibilities. And then now for a little over a year and a half, we've been remunerating Alan Osborne. Um, he is a deacon, but we've remunerated him as a church administrator part-time for 20 hours a week because of a need just for administrative things. Again, largely to help uh, the pastors, and me in particular as a full-time uh, pastor here, to, to not have to give so much time to administration, and he has taken many of those things as a church administrator that frees me and the elders up and helps us function um, uh, better. So as we approach a budget for 2024 and that time of year when uh, the elders and deacons gather together and we look at all those things and we propose a budget to the congregation. There are some slight changes to that that we're going to propose regarding remunerated staff. And so I just want to alert you to that. Uh, not for you to ask us questions prematurely, <laughs> but that will be uh, coming up on a Lord's Day evening, probably November 12th. Uh, is the goal before our communion service to just have a meeting about budgetary things and talk about some potential changes, proposed changes uh, to paid remunerated staff as the church grows and there's even more responsibilities and attention to the shepherding of souls here at Grace. So that's just an overview of some things regarding uh, church leadership, um, understanding those things a little more. As with everything we've covered
regarding church membership, church discipline, church ministry, church doctrine, church leadership to uh, help acclimate those of you who are visiting to more information about our church as you consider whether you should join. There's more information we can give you. Many of these things have been preached on more thoroughly. For example, church leadership. You can find sermons that we preached on in teaching uh, settings as well uh, that you can listen to regarding the specific qualifications, more details about elders, the office of deacon, all these subjects. Uh, if you have more questions, we can give you more information. But all this was meant to simply be an overview of these things and for all of us a, a refresher, so to speak, on some of these subjects together. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and pray for this local congregation as we continue to seek to honor him together. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, your manifold wisdom uh, in uh, the church. Lord, it points to your wisdom, even as creation points to your wisdom. Lord, your church points to your wisdom. Lord, how you build your church and Lord, how you bring a Jew and Gentile together into one body and how you Lord, even in the, the governance of the church, have ordained the church to function and how we are to relate to one another as believers and, and pastors and deacons to con congregation and vice versa. Lord, in all these things, we thank you that your word addresses them. Lord, help us to know your word and to live in light of it. And as we do, Lord, uh, to build up the body of Christ as whatever part of the body we are and the spiritual gifts that we have, that we together, Lord, might... Uh, build up this, this holy temple as it's described in Scripture, this household of faith, so that your glory might dwell there and your manifold wisdom might be, Lord, proclaimed not only among us but to the world. In all this, Lord, we pray for the, the glory of your name in the world until you come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.